Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you're listening to us. We are excited to welcome you to yet another episode of the Sweet Potato Genetic Advances and Innovative Seed Systems Sweet Gains podcast. I'm your host, Viviana Tacos. Today we are joined by Dr. Craig Yencho. He is program leader of the Sweet Potato and Potato Breeding and Genetics programs at North Carolina State University. We will be discussing unleashing the power of the sweet potato genome. Welcome, Craig. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and looking forward to visiting with you. Great. Let's delve in. Plant breeding has changed a lot in the last few years. Can you explain to us, Craig, some of the technologies that are helping breeders target preferred traits and deliver new varieties at a faster pace? I think the biggest things that I wrestle with as a plant breeder these days and as a trainer of future plant breeders is harnessing the technologies that are available to us in a fashion that allows us to sort of understand uh, the complexity of sweet potato and making sense of it. And by that, I mean, we're now in an era of big data. We collect more data than we ever have, and we do it using different tools, both genomic tools that are trying to understand sequence diversity, genetic diversity of sweet potato at a level that we've never, ever been able to do so before, down to the individual base pairs of the sweet potato genome. That encompasses a huge amount of data. When our applied breeders are in the field and they're doing what we call phenotyping the crop, they're taking a myriad of measurements on crop performance in the field using new instruments and collecting more data than we ever have before, and then trying to make sense and merging our genomic data with our phenomic data and seeing how traits that we observe in the field are related to genetics at the sequence level is a really complex task. In my experience, it's very unusual to find a person, just a single person, who can span that entire range of technologies and make sense of it. So the next thing that we as breeders need to do is assemble teams of people with domain expertise in a a given region and put those teams together and provide them the resources and the tools and the guidance to work as a good team. Thank you, Craig. Very interesting to note that you mentioned the big data and um, the need for just putting together working teams. That's quite profound. So maybe to move on along, let's take a step back and look at traditionally, how did breeders develop new varieties with preferred traits such as cooking times or texture? And how, in your opinion, does sequencing for these specific traits help accelerate this process? In the first 10 plus years of my career as a plant breeder, we did things by brute force. We made crosses, we planted populations out in the field. We had various tools that we could use to measure yield, disease resistance, et cetera. We know that culinary quality cooking quality is really critical in sweet potato. So we would set up, you know, a a rudimentary kitchen in in our labs. We would do very standardized cooking trials on large numbers of lines that we, we selected in the field. And we would do cooking evaluation trials for dozens, if not hundreds of lines, often several hundred lines, using the best way that we could standardize, say, uh, let's just say texture, for example, would be one example. And we would measure texture on all those 100 lines. And we would pick the best ones. We would advance those. We would make crosses amongst those. And then we'd recombine them. And then we'd plant them out in the field. And and slowly we would select like like what we want. And the population through breeding would change in the direction that we were interested in. You can imagine that that's a very slow and time-consuming process. 
with the emergence of genetic and genomic tools for sweet potato breeding, we are now entering an area era where we can measure those traits more precisely. We know that cooking time is related to starch, and we know that starch is made up of two primary types of starch, amylose and amylopectin. Depending on the ratios of amylose to amylopectin, actually is a good indicator of cooking time. So we now have tools to measure that. In the era of genomics, we now can measure variation at the DNA level and associate variation at the DNA level with traits that are associated with texture. For example, total starch, amylose to amylopectin ratio, and some other factors that we're still learning about in terms of how cooking texture is made. So if we can make those associations, we can then use those markers to associate those traits with the markers and not really have to go through the long, arduous process of growing large populations out of the field. So they're a tool that really helps us sort of find the needle in the haystack, so to speak, uh, find the best varieties or the best lines that have the potential to be a good variety and do breeding more efficiently. Great, indeed, I'm getting schooled on all that and thanks for that highlight. Looking at um, other crops uh, and uh, just connecting to genome mapping of crops such as maize and wheat that has been going on for a while, what are some of the lessons learned from those experiences that could be applied to sweet potato? Yeah, I think there's a lot of lessons, some that we may be able to apply and maybe some that we can't. But one of the things that has really become exceptionally clear to me, and, and both the maize group and wheat, is the value of having a reference genome. For us, a reference genome is a roadmap. And the major milestones on that roadmap are genes or traits. And often they're clustered together too. We need that as a foundation to order markers on the genome, to identify genes on the genome, it has really become abundantly clear to me that the first order of business is, is get yourself a good linkage map, uh, get yourself a good reference genome, and you can start to understand where things are located, how they are related to each other, and that really helps the breeding process. It's a long stretch from using that uh, in an applied breeding program but it really is the foundation that every new modern crop breeding program starts with. So let us get into the complexities of the crop itself. We know that uh, sweet potato is a much more complex crop compared to the others that we've just spoken about. What are some of the challenges that arise from mapping the sweet potato genome? You're absolutely right. Sweet potato, in terms of the genetic makeup of the crop, is much more complex than maize and many of the other crops that the private industries have invested in. And largely the private industries have invested in that way because of the nature of the genetics of the crop and the breeding systems. The breeding system of sweet potato, it's what we call an outcrossing species, which means that you have to take two distinctly different lines and mate them, which are, are unique and different to make a cross. And further, it's what we call a complex polyploid. So sweet potato has a base chromosome number of 15 chromosomes, but it's a polyploid, meaning it has multiple sets of those chromosomes. So it actually has six sets of those 15 chromosomes. And so it actually has 90 linkage groups, 90 chromosomes in its nucleus. That makes it a really fairly large genome, and it makes it a very, very complex genome 
And it means that there's often genes that are duplicated. And those genes might not be on the same chromosome. They might be scattered throughout the chromosome. Uh, compared to maize, which is a diploid and is capable of inbreeding, where they, the crop becomes very, very uniform through the process of inbreeding. Our genomicists, when they're making a reference genome, computationally, that's an easier task to do because of the, the, the genome is organized a lot more simply and it's easier to assemble. But sweet potato, having six sets of 15 chromosomes for 90 linkage groups is computationally really, really difficult to sort of assemble an entire genome. So that, that's part of the reason why the sweet potato communities lag behind in terms of using genomic tools is because of that extreme complexity. Fast forward now to today, we have new computational tools. We've already developed a reference genome based on a more simple wild relative of sweet potato called Ipomoea trifida. And we use that knowledge to work on the Ipomoea batatas, the cultivated sweet potato. Looking at the tools, can we learn a bit more about some of these tools that the sweet potato genome provides breeders to help them hone in on specific traits of concern to farmers? My group here at NC State, one of our major collaborators, have always been focused on understanding the factors that are associated with uh, taste and culinary quality of sweet potatoes. Farmers, of course, they're always interested in yield. Uh, they would like virus resistance. They would like resistance to weevils because they impact the crop. But there's this other aspect of sweet potato, which makes it somewhat unique and a little bit different from maybe maize to a, to a degree here in the U.S., which is mostly fed to animals. But they're, they're really, really sensitive to culinary quality, to factors such as texture, sweetness, flavor of the sweet potato. And so one of my major collaborators here at NC State is actually a food scientist who's engaged in, in understanding sensory qualities of sweet potatoes. And the sensory qualities are all the things that I just mentioned. And again, we have new tools, the genomic-based tools, that are helping us to understand the inheritance of those traits. And in many ways, I feel that they're traits that are more amenable, if you will, to genomic-assisted breeding because we can measure them more precisely through various instruments like a, a mass spec GC, gas chromatograph through uh, HPLC technologies and their chemistries. And we can measure those chemistries pretty precisely. And they don't appear to be subject to what, we, what breeders call genotype by environment interactions. They appear to be traits that are somewhat more stable and less subject to G by E. So they're easier to measure. A lot of us, are very concerned about culinary quality, that we breed varieties that are farmer-preferred varieties. But I think it's important to know that those farmer-preferred varieties, not only from a culinary preference too, they have to yield, they have to have the requisite tolerances, they, they have to be good pouring lines in the field, but also be marketable varieties too. That's really critical. I understand from a previous podcast that the sweet potato weevil is quite problematic for farmers, especially in East Africa. Could you maybe relate to the work you're doing with the genome and how it helps solve this problem? Well, I think a lot of that work there is being led by our colleagues at Nakri in uh, Uganda, led primarily, whom I think you may have visited with earlier, Dr. Bernard Yada. He's working with a team led by Milton Otema on developing lines, varieties that are resistant to sweet potato weevil. And the team at Nakri 
found a line called New Kowogo. Actually, they found a couple lines, uh, land races that appeared to have resistance to sweet potato weevil. And we took New Kowogo uh, as part of their PhD studies. It encompassed three PhDs, actually, and made crosses with other major lines. Uh, one of the big uh, crosses we made was a cross between New Kowogo and Beauregard. And we developed large mapping populations, they're called. We genotype those with our genotyping platform with SNP markers, single nucleotide poly polymorphism markers, made comprehensive genetic linkage maps, and are then trying to associate those SNP markers with the expression of resistance in the weevil, both to phenotypic measures of resistance, where we developed bioassays, took actual storage use of sweet potato, put them in a, in a large plastic jar, and then introduced weevils into a, a clean sweet potato storage route and measured the performance of the sweet potatoes or the weevils on those individual sweet potato genotypes and then trying to associate uh, SNP markers with the expression, the phenotypic expression resistance to uh, weevil. And then we took chemistry measurements too. Turns out that weevils are, looks like this resistance is associated with a class of chemistries called hydroxysynamic acids. And our goal here is to measure the hydroxysynamic acid content in the skin of sweet potatoes, and then to correlate that resistance, resistance to weevil with hydroxysynamic acids. We've learned that it's a very complex relationship uh, and we don't have specific markers yet, but we have a slightly better understanding as to what mediates resistance. And I really do think that this is gonna probably lead to future advances in this area. That, that are just not, it's going to take some time because it's such a complex trait. So this is a trait that the team at NACRI is working on, and they're using what we call genomic selection. I mentioned this earlier to try and introduce through what we call rapid recurrent selection, improve the degree of resistance in a population of sweet potatoes with the idea if we go through several cycles of selection, recombination, and selection and recombination again, and gradually we increase the total level of resistance in a population of sweet potatoes. And then we take those best lines, recombine those, and hopefully we come up with new varieties that have improved resistance through that rapid recurrent selection process. Looking at um, the role of data as part of breeding, we know that mapping a genome amasses a large amount of data. What role does data management play in streamlining your work? And how can the data you collect now fuel future research? It's a continuous struggle, <laughs> I would say. Managing the phenomenal amounts of data that we now collect and uh, keeping it organized, making sense of it, making sure that it's curated and that it's accurate. We have a great team led by Chris Mueller at the Boyce Thompson Institute has developed what they call the breed-based community of databases. We happen to be under what we call sweet potato base. That's helped us to keep track of the data and make it relevant and easily accessible. You know, we're, we're just coming around to this now, but it, it's critical to make progress is to manage your data effectively and find new ways of analyzing it, visualizing it, and utilizing it to make breeding decisions in, in real time. Uh, we've still got a long way to go, but we're, we've really come a long, long way. Uh, we no longer collect data, very rarely anyhow, collect data with paper and pencil in the field. We have an electronic notebook that uh, we key in the data right there into our notepad so we capture all of our data electronically. Here at NC State, when we get back into a wireless environment, it automatically gets uploaded to the cloud 
And then the next step is it goes into sweet potato base. And then we can use that later on. As we marry the phenotypic data collected in the field, again, going back to the genotypic data, we use that to make breeding decisions. And my prediction is, is that the data we collect today will be used by other people in the future because it will be there as new tools are being developed. I can't tell you exactly how it will be used, but I'm certain of this fact that it will be used. Very profound. I agree with you, Craig. So I think to get to that point where we hit all the sweet spots, we need money, we need investments, we need finances. Why should we seek to invest in this now? What are the costs of not investing? I think the costs of not investing are are really substantial. One of the things I've learned about is that, you know, okay, I'll admit it, I'm a little bit biased (laughs) for sweet potato, but Sweet potato is a remarkably diverse crop. It's a major food staple for tens of millions of farmers across sub-Saharan Africa. It's not only a highly nutritious crop. A couple other things about the crop that I think make it a very good investment. It's a very resilient crop. It's very tolerant of heat and drought. It has genetic plasticity that we can make it more tolerant of heat and drought. And the other thing is it's a cash crop too. For, you know, tens of millions of small Holder farmers across sub-Saharan Africa, it's a subsistence crop and it helps to sustain their family. But also, I think there's huge opportunities, and I've seen it personally here in North Carolina, where sweet potatoes are our most important vegetable crop. We produce 50% of the U.S. crop here, and it's a $300 million a year crop in just North Carolina alone. So I, I think it has the potential for small holders across the continent in, in Africa to provide a source of income and to grow that income too. I never say that sweet potato will solve all problems. It won't. But it's an opportunity crop that I think if we don't invest in it, it's an opportunity lost. And it's an opportunity lost to feed people and to provide improved incomes for millions of smallholder farmers across the continent. Great. And with that, um, let me give you an opportunity to make any further comments. But I think there's one other thing that I really am I'm pleased that we've been able to do, and it's been in partnership with SIP for many years and with our national programs. Our national programs are key. A long time ago, I used this analogy where I said, let's just build the field and increase our knowledge of sweet potato genomics and let really smart people come into that field uh, and start to play. And through that process and play, I mean, is conduct high-level research that takes the crop further and further along and helps us to develop new tools to improve the crop. I think that's one thing that we've done on the Genomic Tools Project and now under Sweet Gains is to bring these higher-order tools, the genomic-assisted breeding tools, to sweet potato. And along that process, we've brought some really smart people from all around the globe, all right, to work on it. And they've done things that I hadn't even thought about because they bring new ideas, you know, new ways of doing things and it lifts the whole crop and the whole community higher. And I'd say I've had a little bit to to do on that side is to helping build that field and let other really great people, you know, come and do great things on it. And I think that's one of the things I really feel best about is what's going to happen next as these new tools come along, new investigators come in because they find it interesting. It's It's a productive area to work. And, and that next generation of breeders start, starts to kind of take on the reins and, and do great things. So I'm, I'm excited about that uh, more than anything else. And 
if we've just had a little bit to, to say and, and to help facilitate that, I think it's time well spent. Great. Uh, this has been an excellent conversation, Craig, and you've actually crowned it all by linking to other topics that include data management and also just reading and bringing and talking to us about other people that continue to support your work. It's been my pleasure hosting you and I thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Vivian. I wish we could do this in person and I look forward to seeing you in Nairobi again. Please join us next time for another episode of the Sweet Gains podcast where we explore further innovations in modern plant breeding. This program is led by the International Potato Center and forms part of 1CGIAR's Excellence in Breeding Platform.